Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter-ish. <laughs> no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014, and when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Yeah, and reversing the progress of diabetes. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Bring on the technical detail. <laughs> We've done some <laughs> research into our own deranged metabolisms and oh, the yeah. science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Yep. And in every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot, will not, shall not be ignored. I dare you. <laughs> Unless you're fasting, of course. Yeah, I'm actually cooking right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm smoking some lamb. <laughs> of course you <laughs> While are. While I record this podcast, of course I am. <laughs> well, uh, let's start podcast number 146. What the fat? With Professor Grant Schofield. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, that was 145 Real Food Keto with Jimmy and Christine Moore. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, no apologies. No? Nobody said anything? Well, I, actually, yeah, a lot of people said a lot of things. There was yeah. a couple of pe people on Facebook uh, saying, why are we listening to this guy? He's fat. Um, yeah. uh, Jimmy Moore has no credibility. And... Uh, his, you know, I didn't like the sound of his wife or whatever. The point that, that I really made to these people is that um, if Jimmy Moore's only qualification for being on the show was that he had lost weight, that would be adequate. Even right. if he's gained it all back, he mm. at least did it on a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you'd be entitled to say, look, the guy, the guy put on some of his weight back on again, so, you know, I, I'm going to discount him on that basis. But Jimmy Moore has been around. He's been doing this diet since 2004. He's been podcasting yeah. about it. And, and you know, he, he was there before a lot of other people were. And I've, right. I've got to say, it, it, we, it would be churlish of us not to acknowledge the fact that we're actually sitting in the community that, that he had a significant role in building. He wasn't the only one. There were you know, Robert Atkins and Eric mm -hmm. Westman and uh, Finian Volek and uh, lots of other people involved in this. But it seems like he was one of the sort of the everyman, you know, that sort of right. translated the science to normal people, not scholars. Yeah. Now, the rest of us have been able to take it a lot further than Jimmy was able to take it because, he, because his science presentation was for a particular audience. But, you know, had he not built up that audience, then people like Stephen Finney and Jeff Volek and um, Eric Westman and uh, everybody else wouldn't have conferences of people wanting to learn about the ketogenic diet. So, right. you know, they would, have, they would have still been wonderful scientists, but they would have been toiling in obscurity. And yep. so we do owe Jimmy some respect for that. On that basis, we and, certainly do. Um, yeah, and so I, I just, I just wanted to mention that uh, for those people who were making negative comments, heard you, 
don't agree with you. Yep. Okay. Well, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you into a state of nutritional ketosis, where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose and generating ketones as a byproduct. And to do that, what Richard and I did, and what a lot of people mm -hmm. do, is they limit their carbohydrate intake to 20 grams or less. Now, that's no sugar, no starch, and the carbs come from, you know, whole fat dairy, cheese, eggs, yeah. green leafy vegetables, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, some nuts, some seeds. And protein is moderate. Your protein yep. shouldn't change too much. Uh, your body's nah. pretty good at figuring out how much it needs. We used one to one and a half grams of protein per day for every kilogram of lean body mass or what you would weigh without any body fat on you. For me, it's between 80 and 120 grams a day. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's not that. It's around about 100 grams a day of protein. You'll be, you'll be in your ballpark. Yeah, if you're a normal-sized person. And mm -hmm. all of our energy we get from... Fat. Fat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great source of energy. It is. And it yeah. uh, turns out to be a lot healthier for us than everybody thought in the last 50, 100 years. Well, it's lighter than any other source of energy. I mean, it's half the weight of, uh, of uh, the same number of calories of uh, glucose or protein. So, right. uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's efficient. A, and this it's, is it's extremely the, efficient. It's the reason we put gas in our cars and oil in our tanks. It's an efficient fuel. Mm. Yeah, don't do it the other way around, people. Don't do it the other way around. Well, <laughs> <laughs> if you're just starting, please listen to our Starting Keto show at start.2keto.com. Well, Richard, how was your week? I really haven't talked to you all week. No, no. I've. Uh, it's actually been it's been unusual for me because I've had no study to do because I finished all my exams. Yeah. Um, I, I, I got a distinction in chemistry, so booyah. Nice. Uh, I passed biology. I was a bit disappointed by that. I, I kind of wanted to, to nail that harder, but, you mm. know, uh, but it was a good pass, so, you know, that, that was comfortable. Um, I've had no travel. That's the other thing. Yeah. It's so nice not to be on a plane somewhere. Hey, <laughs> I mean, doing all those household projects that you've been putting off uh, during university just the three c's for me yeah just just the three c's cooking carpentry and coding oh nice yeah so i'm building bookshelves um in in our new house that we moved into in april <laughs> and yeah. i said i said to jules don't go to ikea and buy any bookshelves i'll make some nice that sounds fun in april i said oh, yeah. that well okay so you can imagine how <laughs> you can imagine how the pressure's built up since then sure. the other thing i've been doing is uh coding um it's been a while since i've 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 really started been coding much mm -hmm. programming for people who don't know the parlance yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, what I'm doing actually is is sort of like a cross between my new career as a biochemist and my old career as a software developer. Yeah. So what I decided to do is model in code in software, uh, biomolecules and biochemistry. Nice. And uh, so I've I've now made a model of a cell, and I can squirt some uh, messenger RNA to it, or even some DNA to it, mm -hmm. and it will manufacture all of the proteins that are described in that DNA. Wow. So I, I've already made ApoB. I made an ApoB100. <laughs> and here's the interesting thing. So ApoB100 is a protein molecule. It's about um, uh, 15,000 amino acids long. Mm. So, you know, we think of proteins being a couple of amino acids, but they're really massive, big polymers of molecules. And uh, the B100 is made in your... Uh, liver and it's used it's wraps around LDL particles and transports them around your body and the B48 is made in your gut 
uh, that uh, basically takes all of the fat out of your uh, meal and sends it around your body. Mm. The cool thing that I found out is it's exactly the same DNA that makes the 48 and the 100. And the reason it's called 48 is it's 48% of the size. Ah. Um, and so what, what actually happens is the DNA comes out that is going to make the full, long 100, APOB 100. Mm -hmm. And there is a second process that goes through the code and cuts it off at the 48 point. So it actually wow. goes through and it makes one single change. It's a little program that runs along this whole stream of DNA. Yeah. And when it hits that one change, it changes a C into a T. Hmm. And that, that basically t it tells it to cut it off at 48. So, so it's, 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 and it's the only place in the body that does this. So this sounds like it's a project that you could be working on for the rest of your life. I mean, it's, the cell is a yeah. very complicated thing. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, everything's virtualized. Everything's stubbed out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty, pretty much all I've got is a, is a, uh, is a ribosome, a nucleus, and, uh, and the ability to, to, to put a protein in the cytosol. So, yeah. And now when you have interactions between all of those things, now it gets really complex, huh? Yeah. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. I want to basically model the energy uh, uh, mechanics of a, of, a, of a human cell mm. and be able to say, look, here are... Here, here is the 40 or 50 ways that insulin affects uh, the body's ability to make fat or the cell's mm. ability to make new fat, um, mm. you know, and things like that. So, uh, and, and the other thing is it's good for me for revising because because I've been coding software for so many years, um, I remember this stuff really easily. And so as I learn every new thing in, in biochemistry, um, I implement it in my classes and uh, it's a way of revising. So, And maybe at the end I'll have a, a software project to use as a dissertation. Wow. That's a long story. <laughs> you know, it surprises me that, has this been done before? People keep saying to me, no, this is, this is novel. So uh, really? this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I might even open source it, but I might wait until uh, I wait until I'm third year until it's uh, until it's uh, halfway decent. But uh, it does basic things. I mean, I was just blown away when I made my first protein. That, that was yeah. uh, that was cool. That's really cool, man. So yeah. proud, so, so proud. Yeah, thank you. So, how was your week, huh? Well, you won't be very proud of me. <laughs> oh no! What did you do? Well, okay, so I went to Las Vegas, and uh, I went for a conference. I was there for a week. And it started out great. I went shopping, got bacon and eggs and cheese mm -hmm. and all this good stuff. And they gave me a suite where I could cook, which was awesome. Yeah, nice. And uh, I got taken out to dinner at Morimoto. I should mention that you know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, so you don't need to. You don't need to. Yeah, I know, but I got to share. I got to share. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's just say I fell hard for two days. Oh no! Oh no, dude. And it, it, it reminded me how, you know, just one non-keto meal, you know, like I, I allowed myself this to taste this food at Morimoto, which was absolutely delicious. Yeah. And just one non-keto meal for a guy like me, who's still obviously insulin resistant, is enough to bring back the, the either the psychological or the physical cravings that are very, very hard to resist. And so the next day, yeah, the next day wasn't good at all. So the following day, I, I did myself a, a, a total keto day. I, went, I ended up at Texas Day Brazil. Nice. I had all the meats, nice. you know, <laughs> and I felt pretty good um, going to bed. And that was Saturday. So Sunday, which is today, I've mm -hmm. been fasting the whole day. Also yeah. just amazed at how fast... 
I could get back on the horse. Yeah. If you just yeah. try. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I fell hard. Uh, it's been the first time. Yeah, you fell for Morimoto. And I mean, uh, yeah. if you go, if you go to fall for a chef, <laughs> you, you may as well pick a good one. I mean, you want to be in the top 10. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would fall for Heston Blumenthal or yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Marcel Rosepi or, you know, there's, 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 there's a few. But, you know, it, it, it really just does show you that um, you, it's very, it can be very easy, even for somebody like me who's been keto for almost three years, you right. for four years, right? Yeah. If you yeah. just, you know, you, you start down that slippery slope and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, whoa, how did that happen? And uh, yeah. what's going on here? And, and you really have to retake control. And I found that it was, uh, it was much easier to do that when, I, like I said, up in the morning, bacon and eggs. Yeah. You know? Bacon and, and eggs, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. And then you're not hungry. And then, but, you know, continuing to eat higher fat foods the next day and just don't worry about calories just get your get your keto food in and then the next day after that um, and I'm fat adapted right so the next day after yeah. that fasting boom back on it yeah nice the, you probably the thing about Vegas I mean I lived there for four years even mm. now it's still pretty hot out you wouldn't be able to do any exercise you wouldn't be I mean one thing you can right, do when burn you have off a, the glycogen. a cheat meal is you can burn off your glycogen and, and put right. a hole in it and mm -hmm. that at least gives you it's like a it's like a big big old capacitor that gives you the ability to be able to buffer these shocks right if you're not able to do that um then the shocks are, are much more serious so yeah yeah sure ouch sure mm. well there you go kids keep calm keto on don't worry about it just get back on the horse like we always yeah. say hop on the yeah. horse again yeah yeah well done Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, let's give away some swag. Every show, we pick a lucky winner at random from the members of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And today, we're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub.twoketo.com. We also need to mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the United States. That's right. But if we happen to pick someone outside the U.S., we will find something to send you, but it probably won't be the entire treasure trove. So who's our winner this week? This week's winner is Steve Cherry. Congratulations, Steve. Let's tell everybody what Steve's won. Well, the first thing we're giving away is a two keto dudes coffee mug that says keep calm and keto on. Good advice this week. <laughs> yes, it is. We've also got a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry online at lies.2keto.com. And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two carbs per serving, online at steviasweetbarbecue.com. And a cheese-making kit from Wine & Way. Pam Zorn gave everybody at KetoFest a kit so they can make their own fresh mozzarella. That's available online at wineandway.com. That's W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com. And a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution, developed by Dr. Carolyn Dean along with a copy of her protocol and the Keto and Magnesium Manifesto. That's online at magmiracle.com. I've got some in my water right now. <laughs> yeah. And we're also giving away a big bottle of fasting drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes. Just drop a little in your water and fasting will be a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla, online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto & Co., a sampler six-pack, brownies, 
cauliflower rices, and flatbread online at ketoand.co. Finally, a bag of everything bagels from Fox Hill Kitchens, made with yeast but no wheat or gluten, online at bread.2keto.com. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. And that brings us to the time where we read the... Mail! Mail! What you got, Carl? Arr, arr, arr. All right. Well, uh, this is from the... Uh, um, I think there's actually- a dog chasing after your mail. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, my leg smells like a mailman. Um, We got an email from Megan who wrote us in response to our Giving Thanks show with Brenda and Kevin. And she says, hey, dudes, I'm sure you've already got this feedback. But just in case, you can also donate a portion of your liver as a living donor, not just kidneys. Don't donate both your kidneys. That wouldn't be good. (laughs) No, yeah. The donor... can give up to 75% of their liver to the recipient and it will regenerate to its full size in both people. You know, I knew this, but it's still just absolutely amazing to me. Isn't the liver an amazing thing? It's like a miracle. It really is. (laughs) There's, you know, 50 ways to love your liver. (laughs) Says Paul Simon. Um, My husband, she says, my husband was the lucky recipient of 70% of his brother's liver five years ago. It's also a good reminder to people is just to talk to their loved ones about their wishes. Even if you're a registered donor, your family has to consent for them to use the organs. And thanks for raising this important issue on the show. The only thing, Megan, this is great, and it's great to know. Um, The only thing that people should know is that livers are harder to transplant than kidneys. And from what I understand, Richard, kidneys, you attach them, they either work or they don't you know that they, they have you, you do have to take a lot of uh medication to avoid rejection but for what i understand livers are really hard to to make them work yeah the interesting thing about kidneys is when you have uh, a kidney transplant you're a recipient of a kidney transplant you don't lose one of your kidneys and have a, another one put in its place right you actually end up with three kidneys yeah and so all they do is they they attach it to the to the they attach the outlet to the bladder and the and the rest of the blood supply and and there are people walking around that have five kidneys because they've had three transplants. Right. Yeah. So I think they'd last something like a ten years, and I think they'll put new kidneys in a person uh, up to three times. So. Wow. It, it's 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 remarkable. It really it is, is remarkable. The body's surgery. an amazing thing. Isn't it just? Yep. Well, that's what I got. What do you got? Yeah, I've got a, a a direct message from a mystery person on the ketogenic forums who wishes to be anonymous because he or she works at Weight Watchers. Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, he or she says, I work for them and soon I'm going to quit because it goes against my morals. Ooh. Um, uh, feel free to share this message um, on a podcast as long as you don't use my name. And the message is this. You may have already seen this, but I thought I'd share it with you. Weight Watchers, now rebranded as WW, Wellness That Works, is their their sub-logo. If anybody goes to www.com, it can be members or non-members, you can scroll down near the bottom to the uh, pre-diabetes links, which will lead to the type 2 diabetes links. And here's the the guide for Weight Watchers food recommendations, and it also links to diabetes.org. They encourage grains. Grains are encouraged. Oh, my God. Fruit and all of the usual BS. Uh, They call themselves science-based. Basically, I'm seeing that they agree with the American Diabetes Association as they have links to diabetes.org. Anyway, here's the links to the public uh, 
Weight Watchers page. Um, we'll put it into the show notes, but it's essentially weightwatchers.com slash US slash DPP. Um, and uh, our mystery uh, letter writer says, thanks for everything that you and Carl give. I've beat my sugar addiction and my weird bad eating habits, and I'm now diving into the science that you two have opened me up to. So Excellent. that's awesome. Congratulations, mystery, mystery person, he or she. <laughs> right. Okay, now we're going to roll an interview that you did with Professor Grant Schofield. So why don't you set yeah. this up for us? Yeah, I've been wanting to talk to Grant for years. He, uh, We've spoken to a couple of his students. Um, we've spoke to uh, Catherine Crofts, right. who's one of his students. I don't think we've yet spoken to Karen Zinn, who's another one of his students, but right. uh, hopefully we'll get to meet her at uh, the Denver conference and we'll mm-hmm. do an interview with her. She was one of the uh, one of the three angels, along with uh, <laughs> Zoe Harkham and Nina Teicholz, who yeah. went to South Africa to help uh, Tim Noakes in his trial. Anyway, um uh, Prof Schofield is an outlier. He's he's been uh, he's a he's a, a, a sports scientist and a public policy wonk. In fact, he was mm. for a while there. He was uh, employed by the New Zealand government to uh, to drive a lot of their public policy with regards to nutrition. Wow! And this is why a lot of the stuff coming out of New Zealand has been really positive about uh, about healthy fat and uh, and positive about cutting carbohydrates out of your diet. And mm-hmm. of course, with the New Zealanders, they've got a really severe problem with uh, with their uh, Maori population, um, who are extreme. Or, as all Polynesians, they are specifically um, susceptible to type 2 diabetes. But anyway, yeah. he's written a book called What the Fat? Uh, and then he did a follow-up book called What the Fast? <laughs> They're both really excellent books. Essentially, um, it's, a, it's a, 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 a how-to manual for how mm-hmm. to uh, have a high-fat, low-carb carbohydrate diet but he's a fascinating guy uh as i say i've been wanting to speak to him forever and i finally got to speak to a bunch of people i really wanted to speak to for a long time including dr finney and uh professor schofield uh was is in that list of people i've been wanting to talk to for a long time so um let's roll the interview awesome i'm here in the gold coast at low carb down under and i'm here with uh, professor grant schofield Welcome, Grant. Hi, Richard. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit. You did a presentation two days ago, and you also chaired a session, as did I. Um, and your presentation was quite interesting. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we spoke of there, um, but tell me about your background. How did a professor in Auckland end up becoming a low-carb guru? Well, I'm not sure I'm a low-carb guru, but I'm certainly interested in low-carb and nutritional ketosis and, and all things around that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a professor in public health. Uh, but I never really started in public health. Actually, I was originally did degrees in physiology and psychology, and then, right. I, then I was a registered psychologist at one point. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much the world's most useless psychologist <laughs> because of my failure to listen to, okay. you know, the psychologist should shut up and listen and not right. talk and yeah. not offer solutions. Yeah, yeah sort of the inner male in me. <laughs> uh, yeah, for the same reason my relationships run into trouble. That's the problem. Right. So, uh, yeah, so I've ended up – but but what happened is, I, you know, I was very much conventional wisdom and I mm-hmm. had no idea. And so, for everyone that I've harmed through that, sorry. Mm-hmm. But th- three things happened to me concurrently, which were – well, four things really. The first was I had ended up with a doctoral student, Katya Zefkin, who's a who's a 
German who was well connected in the World Health Organization. Okay. And she ended up with all these contracts in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. So we'd end up traveling out to all these different Pacific islands. Nice. Yeah, it was great with, mm. with uh, the sort of non communicable disease prevention. Mm-hmm. And so you, what is so interesting about the Pacific, especially when you're waving the World Health Organization nutrition guidelines around, which are you know, low fat, high carb. Of course they are. Is you, you, there's an instant mismatch between that. And, and the variations in health. So, mm-hmm. at one end, you've got a country, uh, well, there's little islands in southern Vanuatu, which are really just removed from civilization. And, and yeah. part of that are these uh, these cargo cults that developed. And, right. uh, and so, the you know, the, the American soldiers that went there in World War II basically ended up telling the natives that, you know, just avoid white people because they're bad news. Right. Uh, you know, we're sort of beginning of, you know, it's just antithesis of, in the anthropology of religious development. Yeah. Anyway, so they still do that. And so there was really very little development. And you see people extensively healthy, mm. you know, really in the Mark Sisson view of the world, living long and dropping dead. Right. So you'd have these idiopathic deaths yeah. very quickly at the end of life and otherwise a long, healthy life. Yeah. And of course, uh, whole unprocessed food, but actually quite high in fat. They rely heavily on, on coconut products, mm-hmm. including the oil, because that's the only thing that keeps, and then uh, seafood. And, right. Uh, so, and they, so you've got those people extensively healthy. Mm. And then you travel to the you know the worst place in the Pacific, in my opinion, is a, a, a country called Kiribati. Kiribati, yeah. Yeah, which, but the one island that's a sort of group of islands that are massively separated, actually. Mm. Uh, Tarawa is, is okay. one island. And it's a, it's a coral atoll that's right on the equator, and it's 40 kilometres long, about 200 metres wide. It's got 40,000 people on it. Uh, and the food supply, it's just, the whole thing's just a mess. Yeah. The food supply yeah. is just processed carbohydrate. And you start doing random blood glucose and fasted blood glucose. And my estimate is you know, uh, diabetes is running at about 60%. You know, it's just right. completely out of control. Right. And the hospital's amputating between 12 and 25 feet a month. Wow. For a population of 40,000 yeah. from the complications. Yeah. Yeah, you know, utterly out of control. And of course, you know, telling them to get their fat down and exercise more yeah. is, <laughs> is, yeah. is ridiculous. So that was going on. Yeah. Secondly, we, because I work in where I work is also a performance lab mm. and we use uh, uh, online gas analysis to look at performance. We right. started looking at that for health and so expired oxygen. And carbon dioxide, this whole notion of metabolic flexibility. Respiratory equation. Uh, respiratory equation, yeah. respiratory change ratio, however mm-hmm. you want to put it. Yeah. That you know, what we'd notice is people had, had like, have difficulty controlling their weight, mm-hmm. uh, type 2 diabetics, really just weren't being any fat yeah. at rest. Unable to burn fat. Unable to burn fat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then we had sort of uh, someone we would have admired from afar for a long time, Tim Noakes, at that stage was just coming out right. um, with his views, and that really made some sense. So in 2014, he, yeah, he yeah. really- Yeah, so it was around that time yeah. we were doing that work. It's about the same time as I started yeah. the ketogenic diet as well. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the third thing is that we're doing a lot of research with this, uh, with these sort of standing workstations. You know, if you can only get people standing up at work, and they'd burn more fat and they'd mm-hmm. be skinnier and leaner, which I don't believe is true. Does it at work? All. No, 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 no it doesn't. At I, all. I do love my standing yeah. desk, yeah. but it, it hasn't it hasn't reduced any kilos. No, no, well, it's not going to. And I no. think part of the um, what eventually what I came to the conclusion was is that you see massive variations between people, mm. um, even in a seated work environment. Mm. So just in a, a standard seated office environment. Environment. Some people get up about fifty times a day. That's about the maximum, and right. they just 
accumulate movement, mm. you know, three to five kilometres, and, and they're fidgeters. Yes. And other people are not fidgeters. Right. And they're more or less motionless. Yeah. And to me, I think my theory at that point was that it was metabolic. Right. And once you start to put the- The metabolism is the cause of whether they fidget or not, whether absolutely. they use the energy because, because, rather than the other way around. Absolutely, because <laughs> yeah. because of uh, leptin, mm-hmm. leptin resistance, uh, inflammation, and, yep. and uh, insulin interfering with that at the hypothalamus, I think you've got- uh, that's the that's the that's one that's that, that's definitely one part of the symptom. But there's also, I mean, insulin prevents you uh, oxidizing energy at your mitochondria. Exactly, and so, and, so, yeah. and so you, you just don't have energy, and exactly. you're hungry all the time. Exactly. So so you've got a you've got a continual cycle mm. um, of motionlessness. Yes, and yet we think we're just going you know, to make these environmental changes, and it would somehow um, that would be the answer. So yeah, that, 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 there was just a lot going on. Yeah, and then so we started getting right to that, and I convinced uh, my uh, dietitian uh, colleague, Dr. Mm-hmm. Karen Zinn, that this was a good idea. Nice. She, she went, oh, my gosh, you're crazy. And yeah. then I had Dr. Catherine Crofts, who was then a doctoral student of mine, mm-hmm. that this was what was going on. She thought I was crazy. So they were graduate students of yours before you ever made your own transition. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay. So uh, Karen did a doctoral studies with, mm-hmm. with me in public health and nutrition. And she also studied under uh, Tim Noakes in South Africa, right? She did earlier yeah. to train mm-hmm. when she trained as a dietitian. Wow. Yeah. she's the luckiest, the luckiest well, doctor yeah, in the world. Well, well not, not, not so much because we've told her the wrong stuff then. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and in fact, she got this PhD. It's so interesting because her PhD was when you get your doctoral thesis examined, mm. they come back and they go, well, you know, leave it as is, no changes. Never heard of that. Right. Versus, you know, down fry graze, make some changes to, you know, like just don't bother coming back, it's rubbish. Yeah. And she got category one, which is it's perfect, don't change anything. <laughs> and it was all low fat, you know, <laughs> small changes. It was all wrong. <laughs> yeah, and we look, at it, we look at it now and go, oh, what a terrible waste of time that was. <laughs> it should be framed. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, so that's, that's how we got into it. And then uh, I'd imagine this would be actually – you know, in the way that science you'd think would work in the modern era, where we'd just start to discuss this publicly and, yeah. and there'd just be a smooth transition as the knowledge changed. You would think. But no. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It hasn't been like that at all. It's been, you know, really um, – and, and uh, you know, I only stand on the – I'm a minnow standing on the shoulder of giants compared to, you know, the sort of beating that uh, Tim Noakes and those sorts oh, of guys had to endure. Yes. But yeah. – uh, uh, yeah, it's been anything but smooth. In fact, you know, the sort of academic bullying, the medical profession's snobbery has been staggering. Mm, we've had Gary Fetke on a couple of times talking about what he's gone through here, and he's just an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, just acad- academics have it, it like 10 times worse because the, the entire process of, uh, of defending your, your, your ideas is, is it's a blood sport, isn't it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, academia is. Strangely, not for the faint-hearted, you would think it was sort of this funny, uh, easy thing to do, and in many parts of it, it is. But actually, uh, the sort of backstabbing and the kniving and, the, and, and and even the upfront punching is pretty brutal, frankly. Yeah. And it's, this is not new. This is you were telling in, uh, us in your presentation that yeah, this has happening, been happening for centuries. Well, it's taken me a while to get round to the fact that actually medicine has always had these pain points. And actually, when you go back and look at, at some of the examples of history, it's not been easy. It's right. been brutal, and it's taken lifetimes. Mm. So I think there's a few examples. Uh, the f- first is Semmelweis, the, the obstetrician who discovered that if you washed your hands with, with chlorinated water mm-hmm. following the autopsy of, of dead mothers, yes. then when you subsequently went to interact and, and deal with 
with their live babies, mm. you reduce the death by sepsis from about 20%. So one in five kids was dying, dying from, yeah. from infections taken from the autopsy. From the previous, previous yeah. Yeah, 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 operation. Yeah, down to just 2%. So, you know, nine or tenfold reduction. Wow. You think that would be obvious? Yeah, and he published that and um, was just bullied and humiliated to the point that he, he mentally broke down. He ended up in a mental asylum wow. and perversely mm-hmm. died himself of sepsis. <laughs> that is perverse. <laughs> With no change yeah. in policy. And, you know, it took really decades for that to, uh, you know, clean data, massive effect. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. Mechanism is there. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. gradient is there. All of the necessary um, information is there to be able to show that this is evident. Yeah. And the problem, of course, in medicine with this is that the problem is for, for the colleagues and for people who have been practicing, this is what we see today with low-carbon keto, yeah. is that, you know, for example, in the modern endocrinology community, people have to say, yeah, we actually got that wrong and did harm. Right. And, and the human condition isn't that. It's one of co- the, our own dissonance. Yes. Because we all believe we're good people. I mean, yeah. is, is anyone out there yeah. that thinks they're not? No. Of course we don't. So sure. we've got to keep that intact. Yes. And so there's quite a bit of cognitive mobility needed to keep that intact. And So Samuel Weiss's peers refused to believe that they could possibly be causing the death of their patients well, because how, they're only in it for their patients' benefit. So Absolutely. How could I have been doing this? This guy is obviously wrong because I wouldn't, I wouldn't intentionally kill people. Da- kill people? Yeah. Right. Or even unintentionally. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and another ex- really interesting example, I think, mm-hmm. is in nutrition. And I think really the unacknowledged father of modern nutrition research is mm-hmm. James Lind, who was, okay. the, who was a physician in the Royal Navy mm-hmm. in, in, in the 1700s. Right. And they had just a minor nutritional problem, which mm-hmm. was that- Nutritional deficiencies, scurvy, were, were killing right. a, an untold number. You know, the, the magnitude of this effect is just staggering. So it was among the British Navy too. And the British Navy, they, they had this theory that they, their Navy had to be twice the size of any other Navy in the world. So yeah. the Navy was crucial to the, to the English characteristic. Yeah. And they were feeding their men, what, hardtack? Yeah, that, that was it, hardtack, because it kept yeah. and it was, it was easy to take. But uh, look, just look at this for, for mortality. Mm-hmm. In, in one voyage in 1743, mm-hmm. They had 1,800 sailors. Okay. And they lost about 1,300 to scurvy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so they came home with the skeleton crew, literally. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's well, flabbergasting. And the men who survived must have been poorly off. You well, know, yeah. They, I mean, must, they probably uh, never never went back out to sea. Yeah. And who knows? And so they had odd words for, for, for health and disease then. So, you know. Things like you, you, you know, you went, you died of hysteria, whatever that might mean, okay. or uh, in this case, putrefaction. Oh. and so that sounds a, like a horrible way to go. Yeah, well, it, it looks like that because <laughs> yeah. you've got these sores, and you mm. sort of looks like you're putrefying. Mm. So that's what it caused it. But uh, Lynn thought it was a nutritional deficiency. He did the first randomised trial in nutrition, right? And he he discovered that he was able to reduce massively the mortality mm-hmm. uh, and the overall incidence of scurvy. Wow, uh, you know, by more than fifty percent. Yeah, and what happened? What? Well, <laughs> well, nothing. Yeah, of course. And, 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 and so, long, so, yeah. so f- f- 50 years later, uh, Lynn died in, yeah. in 1794. Okay. And it was then in 1795 that they introduced this as a policy. Oh, oh no. Uh, and no. You, you, yeah. I mean, it's just flabbergasting, isn't yeah. it? So hopefully with with the way we're going in nutrition, it's not going to take 50 years and, and the death of most of us yeah. to 
achieve that. And actually, I don't think it will because I think now we're in a situation where where science has been removed from the elite and it's been given to the citizens. I think it still happens because I'm just thinking of Barry Marshall in Western Australia. Yeah. Here is a guy. He was a, I, I believe he was a histologist in in a in a hospital, and he was looking at uh, stomach cells of peptic ulcers, and he had this technique of staining them. And he was uh, he he came up with this theory that there was a bacteria that was able to survive in such an acid environment that was doing the damage. And he found this H. pylori, and he 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 a Helicobacter pylori. And um, and nobody believed him. Nobody could possibly. It, of course, ulcers are caused by stress and by all these fanciful things, and they're only cured by you know these radical stomach surgeries or you know putting horrible doses of chemicals into these things, proton pump inhibitors, all this kind of stuff that, that they're doing. And um, the uh, when it came down to it, the only way that he could prove that uh, that this was the case was that he 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 personally ingested um, pus from some other man's peptic ulcers, gave himself ulcers and then cured it with a simple dose of antibacteria. The man won the Nobel Prize for it. But you would think that the minute that that, that he'd showed that experiment, that natural experiment, that uh, everybody would stop doing these horrible stomach surgeries. Which, they were still what, doing it for you know, no, decades so, afterwards. Well, again, I just think it's the same dissonance. How could <laughs> I be causing harm? Right. And so rather than believing that I was causing harm and changing my behaviour, my, mm. my best bet is to ridicule Barry Marshall. Right. Play the man. Yeah. Ad hominem. Play, play the man, not the ball. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's just science. And I think we've seen that with Gary Fitke. I think we've mm-hmm. seen that with uh, with Tim Noakes. Yep. And we'll probably continue to see it. Mm. But That's a horrible thought. Yeah. But I just my, – my main wish in life really is that we can, we can overcome this and move forward with our current – uh, nutritional changes mm. uh, before another whole generation goes through. You know, at the moment, uh, I think there's the, the the loss of quality of life, mm. not so much quantity of life, due to uh, poor lifestyle. Mm. Is the scale of it is flabbergasting? Roughly a quarter of our of human life, right, is lost to poor health. Infirm, yeah, infirm yeah, as we get old. Yeah, 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 and and most of that is attributable to chronic disease and most mm. of that burden of chronic disease is attributable to smoking, alcohol, uh, poor diet and, mm-hmm. l- and low fitness. Right. So, but yet we're still trying to medicate our way out of these. <laughs> you know, medicine is at that exact pain point, mm. again, where the evidence is there. But if we believe it, mm. then we're going to have to create a situation where we say, oh, actually, we're wrong, we're causing more harm, and people yeah. find that very hard. Well, we're treating, we're, we're treating for example, obesity by, uh, with, uh, based on the hypothesis that, uh, that if we decrease the volume of a stomach, we're going to be able to in- <laughs> increase the person's ability to burn, it, burn energy. Oh. You know, and clearly they're not burning energy. It's, yeah. it's the, stomach's got no, the stomach's just delivering it. It's, 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 it's not act- at the coalface <laughs> shoveling the coal into the furnaces, yeah. you know. And so, uh, yeah. you know, it's 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 a symptomatic treatment. And I, as a as a type two diabetic, I I come up against a lot of these symptomatic treatments. Oh well, I think diabetes and its treatment is just perverse. It's a yeah. it's a frontline drug treatment and treated as a palliative condition. And right. uh, neither the drugs are, 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 are futile is probably the best way to put it. And it's a reversible condition. So, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, I, th- I think as low carb activists, that the that that playing field is tilted in our direction. Diabetes, mm. diabetes, I think, is where we're going to get our most traction because we can teach diabetics how to reverse their own disease, 
And because it's a genetic predisposition, they're most likely to be related to other diabetics. And so they will then teach their family and friends and loved ones to, and, and once we get enough, um, diabetics saying, no, wait a minute, what I was told, uh, with di through diabetics education didn't work, but what these low carb guys told me did work. I think that's going to cause. I, I actually agree with that, and I think that's probably an important point. And, and it's very easy to default to obesity, mm. and even we just did now. Yeah, we did. But but, yeah. but actually, in mainstream media for children's health, mm -hmm. I want to talk about oral health, yes, dental health, yeah. because because it's clear that sugar mm -hmm. and uh, fermentable carbohydrates—that's all simple carbohydrates—cause yep. uh, tooth decay. Mm -hmm. And fat in the mouth, mm -hmm. uh, including from dairy and butter and, and meats and nuts, is protective. Tooth decay. Yeah. And, 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 yeah and, and we know, so this is a very easy argument, and you don't have to engage with the food industry or all their rubbish about uh, cloudiness and, and hiding the truth. Mm -hmm. um, that's causal. Mm -hmm. And the number one cause of hospitalization for young children in every developed country is to be in there for poor oral health because they need to be anaesthetized because they have uh, rotten teeth and the teeth need to be pulled out. Oh. And so you concentrate on that for children. Yeah. And for adults, simple, diabetes, mm. because it's a massive burden of a disease. It's reversible under and only under these con dietary conditions. Yes. And uh, we can save the countries millions, if not billions of dollars and increase mm. the quality and quantity of life for billions of people. And so I prefer... Although obesity is an important issue, mm -hmm. uh, to avoid directly talking about it and just yeah. go straight for those two things because those are the targets. Yeah, treat it as a biomarker. Yeah. Obesity is a biomarker yeah. of uh, of diabetes, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the other thing that you said during your presentation was um, you uh, you spoke about this idea that um, you can't outrun a bad diet, and you said, well, actually, there are discrete benefits for ha for fitness but also in a ketogenic context there's a reason why you want you would want to be able to to move a little bit more in a ketogenic context yeah so i think there's two things there first of all you know more generally I, I, the one thing i'd be critical of us in the in the keto uh, low carb community is mm -hmm. to sometimes pit two otherwise healthy behaviors against each other like diet and exercise <laughs> right. and i think that's un just a, a a silly debate to have and mm. i i've been saying you know would you rather lose your left hand or left foot uh, if you had to choose. Rather than lose neither, to be yeah, honest. Well, neither, because, they're, because they're independently important. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you, your left foot's not going to help your, right hand, your left hand. Mm. So, and I think the same applies to exercise. So, it's just the, the protective effects of being physically fit. Yes. Are, are, are large. So, what, it, what give, give me some of the examples there. Well, an easy example is, is well, I mean, this, the, the whole field started with Jerry Morris, a, a London epidemiologist and in the 50s, studying, okay. studying bus drivers and bus conductors. Mm -hmm. And it was, there was pretty much the same men, mm -hmm. but one group was con conducting. In other words, walking around collecting tickets all day. Right. And another group was sitting there getting stressed out and driving around. And the heart attack difference was stark. So the drivers right. were having twice, twice the number. That was really where the field started. Probably eating the same food. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the same lifestyle. Yeah. And, yeah. And so perfect control. Yeah. So, and that's led to a lot of things, but I think, you know, without relying too much on epidemiology, but I just think the effects stark mm. uh, because we, we set the bar really low on public health, like just do a bit of movement and you'll be right. Yeah. I don't think that's true, actually. Higher physical fitness is associated with um, much improved longevity. So, for right. example, they followed a, a group in 1981 of 50-year-olds mm -hmm. uh, matched with an equivalently healthy group of 50-year-olds, but mm -hmm. one 
group was members of a California running club, and they ran actually a fair bit, about 300 minutes a week. Wow. Uh, which, yeah. you know, people... Five hours a, yeah, five yeah, hours a week, yeah. yeah. And, you know, after 21 years, the mortality in the non-runners was 34%, mm-hmm. and the mortality in the, in the runners was just 15%. Oh, that's significant. So, so yeah. significant, but it's just not that mortality. It's the morbidity, so the quality of their lives. The quality of the last 10 years of their life. Yeah, yeah. well, well mm-hmm. then they studied that. So of that mm-hmm. 21 years... Mm-hmm. The runners were free of disability for another extra thirteen years. Wow! I can just imagine if that was a medicine. Yeah, yeah. yeah blockbuster. Put it in a put it put yeah. it in a pill in a bottle, yeah. and you'd yeah. you'd make a billion dollars, yeah. trillion maybe. Yeah. So yeah. so for, for for so let's just not put the two against each other. Both mm. are important, and, and yeah. diet equally has massive yeah. uh, effects there. Uh, the second thing is in terms of uh, ketogenesis and ketonemia and being mm. in nutritional ketosis. I find. Uh, and I think we should be talking about. It. I think uh, easy fat burning exercise mm-hmm. is one way to really enhance ketogenic signaling. And I'll just give you some examples, just how I do this with myself. Mm. I'm a real fan of Phil Maffetone. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. And uh, and his he was really uh, he was a running coach, mm-hmm. an endurance coach, a doctor. He's he's still going uh, strong. He's in his seventies now. Mm. But and he was he was an advocate of uh, low carb, high fat back in the seventies. Wow! Uh, and you know for for its benefits. But what you see, of course, if you can exercise at an easy rate, and I actually use my Garmin heart rate monitor. Oh, on my we wrist. have the same. We have oh, the same, same one. one. Yeah. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, 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 bang. <laughs> and um, and you just run at sort of a pace of roughly 180 minus your age for mm. heart rate, which for me is 130 beats per minute. Mm. It's pretty friggin' easy. Yeah, In fact, yeah. I have to walk up most of the hills. Yeah, yeah. Then you're just into this uh, fat oxidation zone, mm. and you really just generate ketogenic signal. I can start a run, and I just did this. I, my ketones were around about 0.2 yeah. uh, when I started this morning mm-hmm. because I'd, you know, I'd actually ended up a, ha- having a, a few cubs last night just by, by accident. Mm-hmm. And... And just went for an hour and a bit easy run on that thing. You know, you measure your ketones at the end of that. Well, I'm 1.5. Lovely. Yeah. And so you, I think my point there is that you're augmenting the ketogenic signaling. This is one of the, and you don't get that if you go out and just smash yourself. Right. So, so high intensity exercise, resistance mm-hmm. training, that's all very interesting and that's mm. good and has other benefits. Mitochondrial, mitogenesis, all those other things. And you shouldn't avoid that either. Mm. And you can do that occasionally. Mm. But this uh, everyday sort of just easy ambling along, yeah. um, in my view, really enhances your ability to get into, into, a ketosis, right? And whether you call that an exercise ketosis or a nutritional ketosis or whatever it is, it's still ketosis. Exerc- it's exercise enhanced nutritional ketosis. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you couldn't probably do it if you weren't in nutritional ketosis. You probably couldn't get your ketones up to one point five. No, no, you wouldn't run. be able to do that. So you need no. the, the combination of both. Yeah. And then, of course, with that method, rather than just going hard out diet and not doing any exercise, mm. you get a little bit more cycling out of, uh, out of in and out of nutritional ketosis much more easy. So, in, in my opinion, which improves your flexibility, I guess. I think, just, you're, you're, yeah. well, and also you just, you just, I think the human condition is not to be in nutritional ketosis a hundred percent of the time, mm. and in many ways. Uh, unless you're using it therapeutically and as a diabetic you might be doing that but but to cycle in and out of being anabolic and catabolic I think it's a human condition and really drives normal human physiology yeah and of course the problem for modern humans is the, this is a shopping mall test yeah Go we never get out of it <laughs> well, they're all constantly anabolic no mm. one's ever experienced nutritional ketosis has no idea and that's why I mean just the mere fact that people get the keto flu mm. when they go into nutritional ketosis um, shows us that mm. that what's been a 
absolutely normal part of human physiology is something that they've never used. Yeah. Uh, they, sh- they shouldn't. And in, in, in the paleolithic world, I expect there was no such thing as the keto flu. You just right. transitioned in and out of, med- yeah. and of fat burning. And well, I, th- I think up until up until about a hundred years ago, we were doing it, doing it seasonally as well. During the winter years, we'd, we'd naturally go into a ketotic state, absolutely, um, or mildly ketotic state. Yeah. And then during the you know spring and summer, we'd uh, spring to to fall, we'd you know we'd have more carbs, we'd exit out of it, and it'd be a natural transition. But I, I think from from a fitness point of view, I'm a big fan of functional fitness. I, mm. I cycle. 14k a day yep. because I live 7k away from university. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and like like you went out for a run this morning. Yeah. We're both going to go out for a body surf now. Yeah, yeah. Body, body surf is an extremely aerobic uh, exercise. Yeah. I, I, I went out straight after I got off the plane and with Rod Taylor the other day, and I was I had my ass kicked by those waves. <laughs> well, so. it should be fun. I mean, we're at a place called for listeners called Surfers Paradise. Yeah, you know, just think about the name, Surfers yeah. Paradise. So if you're into surfing and you, you can't go surfing when you're here, well, oh, it's a moral wrong? imperative. Yeah. We, ha- we have to do it. <laughs> so yeah, but I'm a big, fa- as I say, a big fan of functional fitness. I when I was diabetic, because my insulin was chronically high, uh, I wasn't able to burn fat. I, if mm. you did an RQ of me, I was probably 1.0. I was probably burning all the carbs that I ate and stuffing all the fat into my fat cells mm. as much as I could until I could take no more and then everything else deranged out of out of, out of the picture. As soon as I went into nutritional ketosis, um, my insulin was able to drop and all of a sudden I could burn fat and I lost about, about 35 kilos almost in three months wow. straight off my body because all of a sudden it was like it was available. Like, yeah, it was available. The energy was available, and and that explains that explains this paradox that people see of a of a type two diabetic who is a fat man. Obviously, has a lot of energy stored on him, mm. has no energy to to use. He's lethargic all the time. Mm. Can't, can't be buggered getting up and, and walking to the walking to the fridge, and um, is uh, hungry all the time. Mm. Yeah, he's hungry all the time. It's a paradox. You That's know? right, and you and you end up, of course, looking at them and going, "Oh, you lazy bugger!" Yeah, and, and which is blame the patient, blame the patient rather yeah. than the physiology. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a physiological, not a psychological explanation here. And I think that's crucial, exactly, to, especially for medical professionals to understand. So yeah, you get your diet sorted out, and then you automatically feel like becoming more active, and then you should embrace that because of the 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 benefits that yeah. we've talked about all round and and. Uh, being active and fit, fit. I remember the first time it happened to me it was an epiphany I was at Bunnings which is a big it's like a Home Depot it's a big um, um, hardware store and uh, I was buying a composter and they didn't have a barcode on it and the lady at the till said um, can you go you know can you uh, hold on a second I'll call somebody to go and get the get the barcode and I said don't worry I'll, I'll go for a run and I was running through this Bunnings and it's probably uh, about 100 metres wide the, this, this store so it's you know a decent run for somebody who never runs and halfway through this i'm thinking i'm really enjoying this i should run more often <laughs> you know it really it was an yeah. epiphany for me yeah. so and that happened that happened maybe two or three months after going into ketosis so yeah it's, it's really interesting that we we typically go to psychology mm. to explain a behavioral issue mm. when in fact it's it's actually deeply physiological mm. metabolic yeah wow well thank you very much grant this has been an absolute pleasure uh, i think we should go for a body surf let's go <laughs> okay Could you save your so did you guys actually go body surfing? Yeah, we did. Totally did. <laughs> with with uh, Catherine Crofts. Uh, Catherine took photographs and, yeah. and I look a bit like a beach whale. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we did for a good half an hour. Both Grant and I had the same watch. And so we were, <laughs> we, were, uh, we have one of these uh, Phoenix 5X um, um, watches that, that, that 
that uh, tells you how much exercise you've had and, and oh, how, cool. many kilometer, how many kilometres you've run and or how many kilometres you've body surfed. And we, we did a lot of body surfing. So. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The waves there are just spectacular. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, are you feeling peckish? I am a little bit peckish, despite having lamb in my smoker. <laughs> right. Well, mm. I guess it's time for uh, some... Recipes! What you got, Cal? All right. Well, I went online and I took an already keto recipe and made it keto-ear. <laughs> <If that's, laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> if that's a word. I find that a lot of recipes that pass themselves off as keto are kind mm-hmm. of high-protein relative to the fat content. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's obviously, I'm not telling you what to eat. I'm not telling you to eat more fat than protein. But if you're trying to fat adapt, yeah, you do have to do that, right? So this is grilled chili lime shrimp kebabs from Mm simplysohealthy.com. And uh, basically took the recipe and made it. And then I took the marinade and added some butter and turn that into a beautiful, thick sauce to go with the shrimp. Sure. So, here's what you do. get a For the marinade, you get a quarter cup of lime juice, and you want to squeeze your own limes, right? Hmm. Two tablespoons of olive oil, two teaspoons of lime zest, so that's the outer part, not the pith, but just the very outer part of the lime. That's the good bit of a citrus. Yeah, exactly. That's where all the flavor is. Yeah. We have possums on our lemon tree, and they eat just the outside skin. They leave the rest of the lemon that silly humans would eat, <laughs> all that's, the juice and the carbon. That's because bit. possums have yeah. good taste. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> all right, so you want to de-seed and mince up a jalapeno pepper mm-hmm. and uh, crush up a clove of garlic Yep, or two. I like more mm-hmm. garlic, probably too much. <laughs> you want two teaspoons of chili powder? Half a teaspoon of cumin, half a teaspoon of your favorite sweetener, because you do want a little sweet. Yeah. I have been using allulose lately. I love it. Quarter of a cup of cilantro, chop that up. Half a teaspoon of salt. And that is your, essentially, your uh, marinade. So now you get your shrimp. 12 ounces of shrimp. You can get the large or the extra large, the jumbo, it doesn't really matter. I like I like large, which is what they recommend here. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to chunk up about four ounces of red onion. And uh, obviously, if you're onion sensitive, because there's some sugar in there, you might want to tamp that down a little bit. Four ounces Mm -hmm. of green bell pepper, or capsicum, as you Aussies call it. Mm -hmm. We do. And and, and you're going to use skewers. So you get wood skewers or bamboo skewers, and you soak them in warm water for about 45 minutes to an hour. And this is really good because you don't want them to burn Right, mm, yeah. and these are we're going to grill these, so we don't want those skewers to burn. So you mix together all of your uh, stuff minus the the onion and pepper, all of your marinade, and you put the shrimp in the marinade, and you're going to cover that and refrigerate it for 45 minutes to an hour. I'd even go, yeah, I wouldn't go more than an hour because with the citrus, uh, as you have said before, after about an hour, it starts to break down shrimp. Yeah, 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 it does. The protein will break down into amino acids. And Be mushy. It's sort of like gelatinous, yeah. Yeah. All right, so now you want your grill up high, and you slide the shrimp and the bell pepper and the onion chunks alternating, and brush the kebabs with some marinade. Make mm-hmm. sure you cover those veggies. 
you know, you can use whatever veggies you want, really. I mean, they're just saying onion and pepper because they go well with shrimp. <laughs> and you want to grill them on high, uh, high heat, f- open grill, three to five minutes. And using tongs, turn them over and grill for another three to five minutes or until they're opaque and cooked through. And you want to remove them to a serving platter. So now, guess what we're going to do with that marinade? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, you need to boil it because that has had raw shrimp in it. Yep. You cannot simply just spoon it as is over your shrimp. That's not safe. Mm-hmm. You need to basically take it above the pasteurization curve. Correct. 145. But if you boil it, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So, so boil that. And uh, you might want to cook it down just a little bit, maybe just a few minutes, and take three or four tablespoons of cold butter in chunks. One, and this is like the Bermonte, right? Mm, yeah. So the first chunk goes in there, you whisk it, get it all airy, get the air inside it, and whisk it a lot. And then you can start adding more butter. And add the rest of the butter, and it's going to thicken up nicely and just pour that right over the shrimp or on the side. Yeah, it's better than using gels like uh, corn flour, corn starch. Oh, it's so uh, much better. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. It's butter. Butter, it's better. Wrong. It's better. <laughs> Health food. Yeah. Outstanding, Carl. All right, Richard, what you got? So the other day, as you know, I've been eating carnivore for the month of November, and I'm still mostly carnivore uh, now, um, even though that we're sort of 10 days into December already. Um, I'm mostly carnivore, but I like every now and then having some uh, leafy greens or a little yeah. bit of uh, capsicum or something, um, mm-hmm. garlic. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you know, I like to have, I like, I like a few alums. So, um, so anyway, um, I was cooking steak the other day. I had uh, a whole bunch of uh, steaks for Carnivember that I'd vac packed up, mm-hmm. and I just sous vide them. You know, just chuck them in the sous vide for mm-hmm. two hours at fifty-one Celsius, and uh, I get a perfectly medium rare steak. But of course, the entire steak is medium rare from edge to edge. Yep. So what you have to do is you have to sear the steak. Yes. Now, some people like searing it before they put it in the bag. I end up I don't like that because you end up getting uh it's, it ends up being sloppy i i like my sear to be dry a dry sear yeah crisp and just yes i like to as i bite through my steak i like to feel that the 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 fight back of that sear level and then the give of the meat and if, if it's <laughs> yeah Carl's absolutely eyes are rolling back in his yeah head. <laughs> no i'm i'm totally with you man and uh the, the thing yeah. is is if if you sear anything that's too wet I don't care yeah. whether it's scallops or shrimp or steak. You're essentially going to steam it. Yeah. And it's not going to yeah. sear. Steamed steak is not good. Steamed, nope. steamed most things is not good. Yeah, it's true. Um, but anyway, the, so here's the trick. So I was I was looking at the web to see uh, uh, perfect sear techniques because I wanted to up my sous vide game. And I found one on Serious Eats uh, by Kenji Lopez-Alt. He's hmm. like... The god of sous vide. And, right. And I went looking for it again, this technique again, because I tried it and it was really good. I went looking for this technique again to be able to to put it in the show notes. And the only thing I could find is a video from Kenji and Adam Savage from, you might know, from Mythbusters. Mythbusters, right. Where they do the same technique. It's not very complicated. Here's what you do. You put your extraction fan on. 
That's the first step before searing anything. This should be a warning because, as to the smoke yeah, that's going to yeah. fill your house. Oh, yeah. Uh, or you turn off your smoke detectors mm. and you put a cast iron pan on your range and you get yep. it up to temperature. You get it to a really hot te- – and you're not going to put any oil in. Normally, you put a little bit of oil in to lubricate the pan. We're not going to do that at all. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to take the steak out of the sous vide bag, and it's going to be damp. So we're going to dry it off with a cloth. Yeah. And uh, with a with like a a, kitchen, a a paper towel, kitchen towel. Yep. And then you put it on a, a board and you get a knife and you take some mayonnaise and you smear mayonnaise on the top of the steak. No kidding. No kidding. And so you take uh, the steak with the mayonnaise side down and you put it on a screaming hot, throbbing hot cast iron <laughs> pan. White hot. No, maybe not that hot. Yeah. So here's what, here's what it does. Mayonnaise is mostly fat. It's fat right. emulsified with uh, mustard and egg. Mm. You've got a little bit of sugar and a little bit of protein in the egg, and you've got the, the mustard as well. As soon as they hit the heat, with the, they basically bond with the proteins in the outside of the steak and causes what causes a Maillard reaction we've spoken about before, which sure. is basically caramelization. Um, and so it bonds uh, uh, glucose and proteins together, um, huh. and uh, you end up with that really, really strong sear on the outside so while you have that side down it's only going to be in for a minute and don't move it don't move it around the pan don't sort of loosen it let it sit where it lay and for an entire minute and towards the end of the minute you want to smear mayonnaise on the other side (laughs) and then (laughs) you want to just get get some tongs and flip it over again a minute while you admire the first side's sear (laughs) because it will look glorious so anyway that's that's my recipe that's amazing a link to uh, Adam and Kenji doing it in the show notes. Well, when I finish my fast, I'm going to have a mayo-seared steak and some <laughs> chili lime shrimp. Yes, Garlic you shrimp. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, that's a show. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research you found, support or refute, anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at tokitodudes.com. Or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram at 2KetoDudes. And make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And you can have a look around the forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And Richard, my friend, keep calm and keto on. Yeah, keep calm, keto on, Carl, and hop back on the horse. Oh, I'm already there, man. <laughs> if you man. ever fall off, if you Absolutely. ever fall off, back up on the horse. Yes, sir. We'll see you next time on, on Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.